0: If you found 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and this is verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for its truth, for its reliability, for the things that it, that it says, uh, sometimes just so simply and powerfully, Father. And Lord, I pray for our time now as uh, we open your word and, and study it, God, that you would be honored uh, with the way it's preached, uh, Lord, that you enable us to hear and understand uh, what it says. And Father, grant us the strength and perseverance to apply it to our lives and live it. Uh, as you call us to live it. And God, in all these things we ask that you be glorified. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so um, if I had to get into an argument, which I, I wouldn't want to get into an argument, but my wife will tell you that I argue, um, I would make the argument that the intro to 1st Peter is the best New Testament letter intro there is. I, I would I would argue that, and I feel like I could make that argument, because you might be thinking, no, Romans is better than First Peter. Romans has seven verses. First Peter has two verses, and what Peter packs into these two verses is really outstanding. So if I had to, if I had to, you know, make a debate, I would say First Peter, great intro, great intro, because we see the work of the Trinity right here in one verse. That's that's what we're going to see. So one of the things you'll notice about First Peter, if you've ever spent time there, is that uh, he's writing to believers on how to live in a hostile world. You know, he's writing to believers on how to live in a hostile world and and he says things about their lifestyle, about the way they should live. Uh, He makes bold claims about submitting to the government, submitting to your masters, submitting to your husbands. Uh, He talks about suffering, talks a great deal about suffering and and what it means to live in a hostile world. Uh, And he also uses a lot of Old Testament language and applies it to the church. And we're gonna see that even in the introduction today. So he starts these themes even in the introduction to his letter. And if we can get this introduction, if we can understand and unpack what he's saying here, then the rest of the letter uh, just falls right out. And so, like I said, today we're going to be looking at the introduction. So, I don't, I don't watch a lot of news. Um, I'm not on social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm, I'm kind of an online ghost. I'm living in the 80s, apparently. Um, I'm, just, I'm not connected like that. And so, I don't get stirred up Every morning, by by the morning headlines or what so and so said online, I just, I'm I'm a little bit immune to that. I just don't see it. But every now and then, um, I'll have some downtime at work, uh, and I'll, I'll click on, you know, the news, the local news or something like that. Read the news journal in Longview or ABC or Fox or something like that, and I'll see a a headline or a story, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll just get reminded quickly, how much we live in a hostile world. You just get reminded, just almost daily, if you're in it, if you're in it, how how we live uh, in a hostile world, and 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 I find myself when I when I see the movies that are coming out in the theaters, the shows that are on TV, the music that's put out, I'm I'm reminded that I I just don't fit in here. Like there's something something not right. I, I just feel like I don't fit in. I don't know if you ever feel like that. Like man, I, I read scripture. I want to apply scripture to my life. I want to be be obedient to the Lord, but at the same time, I see all this happening in the world, and it just doesn't doesn't comply. It doesn't add up. I don't know if you feel that that sense of not feeling like you fit in. And even in our country, I mean, there is an increasing kind of dismissal or marginalization of the church, uh, of Christians. Um, And this isn't anything new in other countries, but in our country, uh, it's starting to be a little bit more overt with laws that are passed and things like that. And for many people, uh, this is a, a cause of a lot of frustration and anxiety. Um, you, you hear people who maybe grew up in the Bible Belt, grew up with seeing, seeing America, seeing our country through uh, evangelical view, and, and you'll hear statements like, we're losing our country. We're losing our country. And that was a big piece of the 2016 campaign, you know, the, even the presidential campaign. We want to retake our country. Um, and you hear people in the church make those kind of statements. And if we're not careful, you know, if we, we get inundated with, with the news headlines and, and the crumbling society around us, it can cause us to do one of a few things. One, we, we just throw our hands up in frustration. Like, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so what's the point? Why, why keep fighting? Uh, or if we're not careful, we just assimilate. You know, we just adopt the practices of the culture. Or we, uh, we react in frustration and, and really just you know, uh, dismiss ourselves from society. We go off and hide. We, we form our own little group out here and we, we don't we don't engage the world anymore. We just say, you know what, the world's no good. I'm out of here. I'm going to go live in the country and that's it. You know, I'm going to get four or five of my friends around me and and that's it. And, and none of those responses are biblical. You know, that's that's what we need to see. It's it's so easy to get caught up in the emotion of, of what's going on around us and have this emotional response, and, but we don't have a biblical response. You know, we want to shout down our leaders and we want to protest and those things, but that that's, that's not what, what we're to be about and so um, anytime I think about you know the status of our country or, or, or see a headline or see how our, our country is becoming increasingly hostile to Christians, uh, I'm drawn back to first Peter. I'm drawn fa- back to first Peter and, and even though this isn't anything new in countries in the Middle East or Africa and things like that, it is new for us and we're having to, having to figure out so I'm drawn back to, to first Africa or back to First Peter because we need a, an authoritative word on how to live your life, how to conduct yourself uh, in, a, in a hostile world. I mean, doesn't it make it easier to deal with things when you have somebody telling you, hey, that's normal? Hey, this or that, that's normal. Um, back in 2015, I had the, the privilege of donating a kidney uh, to my best friend. And so Wendy and I, uh, the Friday before the surgery, went and met with uh, Dr. Mayer, the surgeon, and he lined out from check-in to three months after the surgery, thing that would happen. I mean, just laid it right out there for me. All the discomforts, all the pains, um, but all the reasons that I would experience that stuff. Hey, you're going to feel this, but this is why you're feeling it. Hey, this is going to happen to you, or you can't do this, but this is why, okay? This is why. It's only going to last three or four weeks. This is it. Um, and so, had the surgery, and every single thing he said came true. <laughs> all, all the pain, all the discomforts, uh, all the just the, the weird feelings, but when those things happened, I responded appropriately. I didn't just panic, uh, I didn't get so frustrated, I didn't get so aggravated, because I knew, okay, this is normal, this is what should happen. There's a reason behind this, there's purpose, and I can't lift my left arm, I don't know what that is, but that's, it is, that's what the doctor said, he's an authority, this is, this is what he says. So, you know, we want to have somebody that's authoritative, speaking to our lives about what's going on, and that's exactly what we have in First Peter. We have an authoritative word. I mean, just more than that, we have a divinely inspired, authoritative word of God that tells us how to live our lives in a hostile world. And that's exactly exactly what we need to hear and apply as things around us seem to just crumble so that we respond, respond appropriately. So even when you, when you start off in verse 1, Peter starts by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, and and what, that, what that means, that word apostle means one cent, one cent one sent by Jesus Christ, and that means authority. Um, I come in the authority of Jesus Christ, who we know from Matthew 28 has all authority, all authority on heaven and earth and under the earth. And Peter says, I'm one sent by Jesus. So the words that I'm saying, the words I'm about to tell you are reliable. They're true. They're trustworthy. You can bank on them. You should do what it says. I know what I'm talking about. And he's going to say hard stuff in his letter. It's difficult. But we read that knowing that it's not just Peter coming up with some great lessons for life. I mean, this is Peter, an apostle, one with authority, one sent by, sent by Jesus. So there's two, really two main points I want us to see uh, from our text today, which there's two verses, so there's two points. It's, it's got to be the way it works. Uh, one is, is this, and that way if you, if you go to sleep, you'll, you'll have heard the main points. Uh, one is this, we're spiritual exiles that live in a hostile world. That should not surprise anybody. We are spiritual exiles that live in a hostile world, and that has implications on how we live and prioritize our life, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth. That's who we are. We are exiles in this world. We're here for a short time, but that has implications on how we live our life. And that's, that's kind of our status, but, but there's also a second point, and that's really where our confidence comes in. Um, our exile status has not come by accident. It has not come by accident. We're not here randomly. Man, isn't that great? The, the pains that we feel aren't random. right? They're, they're for a purpose. Uh, they're grounded in the sovereign and eternal work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in the text today. Man, when I think about society crumbling around us, the, the pain and frustration I feel uh, with a world that's hostile to, to my faith, knowing those things, that's rock to stand on. And that's what we stand on as we go Go through this world, and so we have a we have an unshakable confidence from our text today, and we're going to see that as we unpack it. Like I said, that's why I think this this introduction, and this is the tops, and this is this is this is good stuff. So we're going to look at a couple of threes. Um, I'm not going to try to confuse you with a bunch of numbers, but verse verse one, we see Peter refer to the recipients of his letter uh, by three titles, all talking about the same people, and then in verse two, we're going to see three prepositions. Okay, so if you can kind of keep that in mind, that's what we have. So first of all, Peter, Peter says that he's writing to God's elect. Strangers, that's what the NIV says, or exiles, foreigners, uh, in the world scattered. Elect, exiles, scattered. So I'm going to take those, take those kind of in reverse, reverse order. So Peter is writing to people uh, at the time who were scattered all over modern-day Turkey, over all these provinces uh, in modern day turkey. And this word scattered, diaspora, uh, means scattered. It would have been used for the Jews who were scattered after the destruction of Israel and Judah. They were scattered into Assyria and Babylon. Like I said, there's a lot of Jewish terminology that's used for the church. And right off the bat, there we go, those scattered. Um, so they would have understood that. Um, and, you know, they were, they were taken into pagan countries that had different customs, that spoke different languages, that were hostile. To them and so they would have understood scattered, but that scattering in, in the Old Testament was a result of God's judgment result of God's judgment. And so here he's taking an Old Testament term and applying it to New Testament believers. So if you were writing today, he would say to the believers scattered across Marshall and Longview and Harrison County and East Texas and, and the south. And, and the truth is we're a scattered we're a scattered people. We're a scattered people. There's not, a, there's not a one single ethnic Christian group right? There's not one single Christian nation. That's, we're, we're scattered all over the world from every tongue, tribe, and nation. In fact, if you remember in Revelation chapter 5, uh, in the throne room, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, uh, they're singing this song, verse 9, and they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons of one ethnicity and one country. No, Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And so just as you know, the, the, Jews were, the, the scattering of the Jews was seen as God's judgment, the scattering of the church means the spread of the gospel because, because Christ has purchased people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Not just one nation, not just one tongue, one tribe. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we're scattered all over the face of the earth to to preach the gospel and to bring them in. So one thing that means is we can kind of breathe a sigh of relief when we see a lot of political upheaval in any particular country, knowing that God's not put it all on this country. You you guys got to make it work. Um, God's got a people. God's got a people all over the world um, for his glory. And so when we see things in our country not working like we, we think they should work or like they used to work, or it's, it's seeming that our country is just rejecting God or rejecting uh, the gospel, we can stand assured that, that God is sovereign above that. He's, he's not dependent on human governments to accomplish his purposes, He's not dependent on, on human authorities to accomplish his will. He's got people. From every tongue, tribe, and nation, and so we can we can rejoice in that. Which it should make us ask a a difficult question of ourselves. You know, what are we trusting in to advance the gospel? Is it human government and institutions, uh, or the power of the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when we're scanning the headlines and seeing the news, we remember that yeah, our, our 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 country needs prayer. I mean, it's it's crumbling morally. It's crumbling. You know, infrastructure crumbling but the good news is God's not dependent on the success of a worldly country to see the gospel spread. He's got people all over. We're, we're a scattered, we're a scattered people, because Christ has already purchased people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So the next word he uses is, uh, is exile. So we see that not only do all Christians not just live in one country, uh, but the countries that we do live in, uh, we're just passing through. We're just Passing through. I really want you to think on that phrase and, and what that means to be passing through. So, so Peter uses this term "peripodomos," which literally means one walking around. Uh, you could use the word "sojourner," one just just passing through. So he's not talking about um, an ethnic people in a, the wrong physical country. Uh, he's talking about spiritual exiles that find themselves passing through whatever country we're in. You know that we're scattered about, but the countries that we're in, we're just We're just passing through, through. and I want, like I said, I want you to think about that. What that means means for our lives if we're just passing through here, here. and that's that has serious implications. I mean, sometimes we read the introductions to these letters and go, "Oh yeah, yeah, exiles." Man, that's heavy. That's heavy. heavy. That has serious, serious implications for my life. I mean, just think about, think about this. Think about what it means to be passing through a a normal country. Um, You stand out, right? You you don't look the part. You don't sound the part. Last year, a group from our church went to Haiti to drill a water well, and so a friend of mine, Kevin Slocum, went with us, and what they tell you when you're there is, don't bring any valuables, but just keep a copy of your passport with you at all times. If you've ever traveled internationally, that's, that's what they tell you, keep, keep your passport with you at all times. So Kevin and I are on the job site, and we're working, and the, kind of the construction leader says, I need two guys. And we got to go back to the shop, which is 20 miles away, and get some pipe. And so Kevin and I jump in the truck because that's what you do when somebody says, "I need two guys." You jump in the truck. You go. So we jump in the truck. We make the 20 mile trip back. We get the pipe, and we're coming back. And uh, one of the things in Haiti, and I know this might be hard to believe, but there's a lot of corruption. A lot of corruption. So the police, uh, police had set up a roadblock um, coming back into this town. And we're just kind of shaking people down for, for money, you know, or whatever they could. So they pull us over, and they find that our insurance had expired in the truck we were in. Now, Kevin and I realize that we don't have copies of our passports. We're probably the only two white people for about 40 miles. And we don't speak the language. I mean, there was there was no blending in for us. I mean, we, we stood out. It was painfully apparent that we were just... We were just passing through. There was, there was no blending in. And that's, that's true of being a sojourner. That's true of being one uh, in exile, right? You're just, you, you stand out. You look different. You can tell when people aren't from around there. Um, it's like you know, when we go to Maine you know, with my mom in the summertime, and we're the ones wearing sweatshirts. And they're wearing tank tops, and they can automatically see you're not from around here, or they hear us talk. You're not from around here. You stand out. I mean, that's, that's what's true of just being somebody not in your native country. And as Christians, as believers, in this world, whatever physical country we find ourselves in, this isn't our home. This isn't our home. And then you might think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. How can I be a, a physical native but a spiritual exile? I'm, not, I'm having trouble reconciling that. Think about how Paul says this. This is in Philippians. And, he, and he's writing to Philippi, which prided itself on their citizenship. I mean, they boasted in the fact that we're Roman citizens and we have all the rights of being Roman citizens. He says this, this is 2.18, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so, so that they will be like his glorious body. Right? So first and foremost, we're citizens of heaven. You know, when when we're rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son, He loves, we become citizens of the kingdom, citizens of heaven. And that first and foremost has our allegiance. You know, no matter what country we find ourselves scattered to, we are citizens of Citizens of heaven, but the temptation is to lose sight of that and just assimilate to where we find ourselves find ourselves scattered. and, and The Bible is not without uh, warnings regarding our relationship with the world, is it? I mean, the Bible repeatedly warns us about falling into a love affair with the world. I mean, right off the bat, First John chapter 2, 15 through seventeen comes to mind. Do not love the world. Right. Don't get comfortable. You're just passing through. The eighty or ninety years you have, God willing, on this life is nothing compared to eternity, to our eternal citizenship. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's man, that's a strong warning. Strong warning. And this and this is this is another important piece of it. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. We are passing through a passing away world. Just think about that. Think about the things that we value, the things that we spend money on, time on. We're we're just passing through a passing away world. Even, Even the best, the very best that the world has to offer us is passing away. That's it. The best pleasures, the best status. Uh, the, the money, wh- whatever, you name it, the best that the world has is, is contrary to God and is just passing away. You know, why store up treasures, Jesus said, where moth destroys, where thieves break in and steal? Why, why do those things? I'm kind of reminded of this quote by Jim Elliott. Um, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The world says that's foolish the world looks at, at the church, looks at believers who, who live sacrificially, who give sacrificially, and say, that's foolishness. That's not a good investment decision to keep putting your money in that plate as it passes around. What does that, what does that get you? And, and here we see, and, and the word backs us up, that it's not foolishness. No, that's, that's wisdom. That's wisdom, right? But like I said, if, if over time we gradually just get comfortable... We just get acclimated to our climate, to the, to the people around us, to the way the world does business. Peter says this later on, and, and again, if we can understand the intro, we get the rest of the letter because Peter's going to come back to these points again and again. He says in one thirteen, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. So Peter's describing you've got to have a constant state of alertness, of sober-mindedness, realizing, hey, this is what's happening. You're getting assimilated. Wake up, pay attention, be on guard against that, all right? Set your hope on Jesus. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed when he comes. Set your hope on those things and not these things. Otherwise, we, we get a little too comfortable. You know, we start to, we start to look like the world. Or Peter kind of raises the stakes even more if you go just one chapter over to 2.11. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, you know, based on your, your exile status, to abstain from sinful desires, and listen to this language, which wage war against your soul. Man, what, what, we, what we're dealing with as exiles is this is serious business. I mean, this isn't just like, yeah, I'll try not to get caught up in that. I mean, these, these things that the world offers us are waging war against our soul. You know, the temptation is just get comfortable. Just get on the sidelines. Right that's that's it that's what the world calls us to again and again and Peter says no be alert be sober minded pay attention to these things that are waging war don't dismiss it as just a trifling temptation it's 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 calling for your allegiance and as Jesus said a man can't serve two masters that's that's it so he goes on live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us live such godly lives among the pagans you know the the bible doesn't call us to go out and live in the desert you know live in the forest and just wall ourselves off from a dying world we're we're called to live in the world uh, but not of the world and peter says the same thing here live such godly lives among in the midst of the pagan live such godly lives that they see you and they glorify god doesn't that sound familiar isn't that funny how the bible does that it's not one guy saying one thing and one guy saying another thing and that's that's just that's jesus that's matthew 5 People should be able to tell that we don't fit in. People should be able to ID us pretty quick, like, believe Something different about that guy. Something, a di- something different about her, about the way she talks, um, about the way they forgive, about the way they love one another, about the way they live their lives. We should be salt and light. We should rub against the grain of culture. Not because we're out protesting and shouting louder than everybody else, but because we're living godly humble lives in obedience to what the Bible calls us to do, because we reject subjective truth. We reject materialism. We reject all those things that the world offers us as good, and we live in accordance with Scripture, and the world says something different about that. Those guys are consistent. They're consistent, and that's why Peter goes on to say, endure suffering. Endure it. Man, what a a testimony to the world. Peter says this in in 3 about how we're to live our lives. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil. That's that's what the world does. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's what the world does. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Man, that invites attention. Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Or John 13, 35 Um, By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It should be apparent to the world that even though we're exiles here, we're we're just passing through. I haven't put down stakes yet. I'm still living according to Scripture and not according to the world, and that should be blatantly true to everybody around us, everybody around us. And maybe you've already taken this next step with me, but you know that as we do that, the more and more we live in obedience to Scripture, the more and more we become Christ-like, the more hostility it invites into our life, right? You, you try to do anything for the Lord, watch out, be, be prepared. And, and, and we're not even talking about in, in other countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. We're talking about, we're talking about here. And so Peter spends a lot of time on, on this subject, about the suffering that comes as a result of living your life as an exile uh, in obedience to Scripture, he says in 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You, you live as an exile. You live in obedience to Scripture. That's what happens. I mean, if you want to do a math equation, that necessarily happens. But rejoice. Don't be surprised when, you're, when you suffer. Rejoice. Man, that's an odd statement. That is a really odd thing. Rejoice in that. That's good news. Yes. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I mean, that's our example. That's our pattern. Christ suffered for sins. He didn't retaliate, as Peter says uh, in chapter 2. Um, rejoice in that. You're, you're, you're following Christ's example to, to, the, to the fullest extent. You participate in his sufferings. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Man, we got to remember that. You know, we we work so hard to avoid the insult because of Christ and to shy away from trouble. And Peter's saying, no, run into it. No, run run to it. Live such godly lives among the pagans. that You're going to get insulted. Don't be surprised by that. You're blessed. But I think it's easy to read that verse and and maybe dismiss a little bit because a lot of us maybe have grown up in church or we're familiar with this passage. Or really, hostility is not not something that's normal for us but but think about believers in the first century that that would have been converted from a pagan lifestyle into Christianity just just kinda think about that for a second you know paganism was the norm in any of these provinces or or any other provinces and it would have been culturally favored it would have been economically uh, advantageous to participate in in temple worship and cult worship and things like that and and here comes somebody saying "I, I come in the authority of Jesus Christ the Messiah Son of the living God who died on the cross for your sins this is the gospel somebody believes they repent they know their sins are forgiven and they have eternal life and they're so overjoyed that all of a sudden they're thrown into prison and they're starved it might come as a surprise like wait a second why is this happening to me i thought that now i was with the the god of the universe i don't understand this i thought that i had pledge my allegiance to the Messiah. Why is this happening? He says, no, 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 don't don't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised by this. Because it, it might have been easy to be surprised by that. Well, I didn't think that was supposed to happen. And Peter says, no, that's normal. You know, the, e- the expert is saying, no, 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 that's normal. That suffering you're experiencing, you know, the, the pain you're feeling, that's normal. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't panic. That's, that's what should happen. But have you ever have you ever been in circumstances? I don't know. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your life. But have have you ever been in a circumstance where you thought, I, 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 I'm trusting the Lord. I'm, I, I want to be obedient to Scripture, but my circumstances have not improved. Things are not getting better for me, Lord. Have you ever found yourself there, doubting God, maybe doubting His wisdom, doubting His purpose? Um, and you see this in the Bible, Psalm 73, uh, with Asaph. This is uh, verse two. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know that whole psalm Asaph is saying, you know, I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord and the wicked are prospering. They're healthy. And I'm tempted to be envious of that. I'm tempted. Or even Jeremiah who takes it one step one step farther. Jeremiah chapter twenty, verse seven. You deceived me, Lord. <laughs> Jeremiah is the one who who God called uh, from before he was born to be a prophet you deceived me lord and i was deceived you overpowered me and prevailed i am ridiculed all day long everyone mocks me whenever i speak i cry out proclaiming violence and destruction so the word of the lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long man i don't know if that's anybody's testimony this morning I, lord i i want to be faithful to you at school and at work and with my family and it seems like every time I walk in obedience to you, it invites reproach and insult to me. Man, we, we can get weary uh, if we look at that. Lord, I, I want to live a good life, but I'm being ostracized in my own country, you know, by my own countrymen. I don't, I don't understand this. And so, like I said, if we live long enough in this world and, and we want to be obedient to Jesus and, and walk in the Spirit, um, sometimes the temptation is there to, to throw up our hands, to get frustrated and say, I just... I just don't know. So, we, we, we need confidence. We need confidence. So, let's just look at that next word that he uses to describe the people that he's writing to. It just, man, it just picks up from here. I love this. And again, this is why I would make the argument this is the best introduction ever. So, not only are they scattered exiles, but he says they are God's elect exiles. What an oxymoron. What a paradox, right? Elect exiles, those two words don't go together. Exile means. Abandoned, forgotten, untethered, unanchored. Elect means choice, chosen, select. Right? Those don't go together. I, I don't understand what you're doing here, Peter, but, but think about that. You're not just you're not just nomads. You're known nomads. You're not just sojourners, you're, just sojourners. you're selected sojourners. Man, what a what a purpose statement there. What a purpose. God just hasn't just abandoned you to figure it out. Hey right, guys, good luck down here in East Texas with everything that's going on. No, you're God you're elect. You're you're chosen. Man, and that denotes purpose. That denotes purpose. This isn't just one big abstract trip around the sun that uh, I don't know what it all means. No, there's, there's purpose in your life. There is purpose in your life. And this is, man, this is good. And, and when we look at the word elect, I mean, that's just synonymous with believer. You know, in the New Testament, when it's used, when Jesus uses it, uh, Matthew 24, uh, you know, he'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. believers. Uh, Paul uses it multiple times. Uh, Titus 1.1, Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So if you're a believer, you're one of the elect, right? So when we think of elect exiles, think purpose. Think purpose and not just randomness. Lord, I don't know what's going on in my life. It just feels like, like just shifting sand, and that's the opposite. Man, if you're a believer today, if you're in Christ today, you're not in Christ accidentally. Okay, God's not up there just throwing darts at a board. He, he's sovereign. Man, he knows, he knows what's going on. And here's the thing. Um, he set his love on you way before you had the ability to earn it because you didn't. And we're going we're gonna to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. But, um, you know, just like scattered and exile were, were Old Testament terms that are used for the church now, the same is true with elect or, or chosen if you if you look at first peter 2 9 uh, but you were a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy you know originally this was this was spoken of israel you know in exodus 19 Israel's getting ready to receive the law. They're outside Mount Sinai and there's thunder and lightning. And God said, don't don't even let them touch the mountain or they're going to die. And and he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you were to speak to the Israelites. So when we read in 1 Peter that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests—that that was that was Israel. Now it's now it's the church. So again, think think purpose, and and I want to make sure we're clear on this because it might be tempting to think, oh, I'm elect, out of all the people in the whole earth, I'm, God chose me. I must be kind of awesome. I, I must have done something right. I must have earned it. I must have I must have done something really good for God to set His affection on me and not that guy. Right? We. And what does that lead to? Arrogance, pride, self-righteousness. You know, that, that kind of thinking uh, is dangerous. And unfortunately, you'll hear that preached from time to time in church, and that, hey, you're a child of the king, you're a chosen child of the king, so you need to claim your inheritance today. Today. You need to name it and claim it today. And what's so funny about that is just three verses later, in, in verse 4, Peter says, well, your inheritance is in heaven. That's where inheritance is. It's not here. It's in, it's in heaven. So our purpose as God's elect exiles, elect exiles, is to make known the glory of God, to declare his praises. That's, that is why you're here. I don't know what your life's going to turn out like or what your circumstances are going to be like. That's, the circumstance isn't the purpose. The purpose is to make his glory known, even in the worst circumstances. But you're not there by accident. God has you there for a reason, and that's what we can stand on. When we know that it's going to happen, ugh, I can stand on that that's under my feet. Think about how Paul sums this up beautifully. This is Colossians chapter 3, 11, talking about as elect people, how are are we to live? What implications does that have? Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There's no more ethnicity like this. We're scattered. There's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's no more barbarians. There's no more distinctions. Just Christ. Christ is the unifying factor there. Therefore, because of that, as God's chosen people, God's elect people, here's here's some things we're to do. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. As, as elect, as God's chosen people, that's how we live our life. We forgive as the Lord forgave us. Let the peace of Christ, I'm sorry, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. In psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I mean, this is how we're to live our lives as God's chosen exiles in this world. We live our lives in a way, not that's dependent on our circumstances, but no matter the circumstances. You know, that, those are just what they are. But we live our lives in a way that the world says, there's something about these people. There's something different. Man, they, are de- they are dependent, completely dependent on the Lord to get them through these things they they love, have love for one another a sacrificial love for one another just, they're, they're forgiving man they forgive insults that's i don't understand this i mean we should we should stand out so as exiles we're not just here to randomly suffer you know that's that's not it we're not just here to hope for the best i just hope it works out hope it works out for me uh in life but we're not spiritual superstars either we're not entitled we're not an entitled people and we're we're not to just embrace the trappings of the world and if we're tempted to start to think that way either i don't know what's going on i've got no confidence or i'm awesome well, you need to read verse 2 you just need to keep going just read verse 2 that's exactly why he gives it to us because we're going to see in verse 2 three prepositions like i said that tie back to our election you know that tie back to our election what it's according to how it's come about and and what it's what it's going towards so in verse 2, we, we read again, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. So, first we need to see that our status as elect exiles accords with something. It accords with something. And it accords with something massive. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than this, but it accords with the foreknowledge of God the Father. I mean... I just close it up and say amen. I mean, right now, that's our election. Your status in Christ accords with the foreknowledge of God the Father, which, what does it not accord with? Your circumstances, your ability, your righteousness. You're your, your, your choosing him. It, that's, that's not it. It accords with the foreknowledge of God the Father. Think about this. And think about how freeing this is. Think about how freeing this is. God uh, didn't, you know, we we hear this sometimes, he didn't look ahead in time and see, man, this guy's going to live a pretty righteous life, so I'm going to pick him back here. God God didn't do anything based on our ability or our our choosing of him. This is just according to God's foreknowledge. That's it. That's That's what your election, your status as an elect exile accords with. It doesn't get bigger than that. That means it's unchanging. You know, if it were up to me, it'd be changing. It'd be shifting sand. But it's it's according it's according to God, not our performance, you know, not our good deeds. We we don't have any. We don't have any. I hope you I hope you embrace this. I, I don't know, and, and people feel differently about it, but man, the doctrine of unconditional election is such good news. I mean, it is such good news. It just frees us from the, the weight of the law and all of those things that we place on ourselves to try to earn God's favor again and again and again. It's not about that. You're an elect exile, and you can be confident because it wasn't up to you to elect yourself, but it accords with the foreknowledge of God the Father, and not only that, from before the foundation of the world. You know, it didn't accord with the foreknowledge of the Father on Tuesday. This was before Tuesday existed. Isn't that great? I mean, that is that is confident. I mean, the Bible makes this plain. Don't think that this is just Peter saying this, and you know, this is this little bit. The, I mean, the Bible makes this make this plain. God was not compelled by any outside force to act, namely us. He wasn't compelled to do that. This is God. This is God. This is the essence of what it means to be God. And I mean, you can, you can look at a lot of different verses. Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, you know, it, it, he, he chose us in him when we got our act together. That's not what it says. You know, before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and goodwill. Man, you know, our, our election, our status in Christ doesn't accord with anything except his pleasure and goodwill. His pleasure and goodwill to the praise of his glorious grace. Or Second Timothy two nine. I mean, this is this is a great one. If you're, if you're like, I don't know if I heard that one right. Second Timothy two nine. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. I mean, Paul's just plain with that. But because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, or before time eternal. That's what it says in the Greek. Before time eternal, this grace that wasn't according to anything that we had done, was given to us in Christ. And here we are. Man, here we are. Isn't that good news? Man, we live in a turbulent, turbulent time where it feels like we're standing on sinking sand. But we have this rock-solid confidence that we are chosen of God today and not chosen according to our ability or according to our merits, or anything that we've done at all, but according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, which gives me confidence that I'm going to wake up tomorrow a believer. I'm going to wake up tomorrow a believer. I'm going to be a believer if the worst happens to me, because it accords with the foreknowledge of God the Father. And this, this foreknowledge that he talks about, I mean, it's the, the noun form is only used one other time in the Bible. Um, it's in Acts 2, 22, 23. Fellow Israelites, listen to this, and this is Peter again preaching, so this is we got a record of Peter saying the same thing this isn't anything new for Peter Acts 2 22 23 fellow Israelites listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge you know God didn't look down and see the circumstance in Jesus's life and go huh how am I going to fix this what am I going to do about these people that are mistreating my son? I I I, I don't know how I'm gonna handle it. No. It was according to a deliberate plan and, and foreknowledge of God. So what what I want you to hear from that is sovereignty is is control. It it feels like sometimes because of our circumstances that God's not in control. He he doesn't know what's going on in my life right now. You know, he absolutely knows. And he asks that we trust him. He asks that we trust him. Our our election is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that's that's the best news that we can hear. It doesn't accord with, with anything else. So I, again, I just want you to stand on that, that foundation. I mean, stand on that confidence that, man, it's, it's not anything I did. It's not my circumstances. Man, it's all about God. And only glory goes to God because of that. Otherwise, we give ourselves credit. I made a good decision today. Lord, I earned it. Now you owe me. That's not how it works. The only way we can praise and glorify the Father or declare his praises is knowing that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Man, and that, that election is sure. It is sure because it, it accords with His foreknowledge, right? So, you know, when I, when I read these kind of things, I, I think about this, that, man, God is not only able to bring me to faith and, and put me in him to choose me, bring me to faith, but he's also able to keep me there. Man, if it were up to me, like I said, I don't know if tomorrow I'll be able to, to cut it, you know. But, man, because it was God who brought me to faith, put me in him, I trust that he's the one that's going to keep me in him and bring me home to glory, right? Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that's good news. Or Romans 8, 29 through 30. I mean, just one of our, our favorite verses. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Just no dropouts. That's it. No dropouts in that, that chain. Isn't that great? Solid. That's what we need to hear when the rest of the world is turbulent, when there's unrest, when there's uncertainty. We need to hear certainty, and we have it uh, in, in this introduction to 1 Peter. So I read that our election accords with the foreknowledge of the Father, man, that before the foundation of the world he set his favor and love on me, not because of anything I'd done, but because of his good purpose and pleasure. But then he also brought, brought my salvation about, because he, this is the second preposition. This is through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Our election is according to the foreknowledge of the Father, and through, by means of, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So God didn't just say, I've chosen you, I've set my favor on you, but now you've got to figure it out. Now you've got to determine that on your own. Go, good luck. Good luck if you can figure it out. No, that's that's not at all. God chose us before the foundation of the world and his choice becomes a reality through the sanctifying work of the Spirit who convicts us of sin and calls us out of darkness into light. God's, God's doing it all here. I don't know if you're catching a theme, but God's God's making it happen. God's doing it all here. So this sanctifying work, uh, the, the root word hagiosmo means holy. It's the same word as was holy. So the, the work of the Spirit in our life is to set us apart increasingly. Uh, to be like Christ. And, you know, we, we talk about sanctification, the process of sanctification. We've, we've been saved, and now we're becoming more and more like Christ. And again, it's, it's not up to us and our own strength and ability to go, now you need to just go figure out how to be, how to be more like Christ and be obedient. Huh, Holy Spirit, I got the Holy Spirit there in you, dwelling in you to take care of that. So we have the Holy Spirit doing the work to make us more and more like Christ. And as we said, the more that that happens, the more hostile the world's going to become to us. As we become more and more like Christ and less and less like the world, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the world is more and more hostile. I don't know if you see this cycle that's going on, which means we need to be more and more dependent that God knows what he's doing and has us, has us where he has us. One thing that's funny when you read, if you just go through and read the introductions to the letters, Paul seems to say such nice things to the people he writes to, to the saints at to God's holy people at, and here Peter's like, exiles, scattered. You know, it's a little bit, little bit more grim, but when you think about it, when, when, uh, when Paul says to the saints at Philippi, it's that same word, to the holy ones at Philippi, to the set-apart ones. I mean, it's maybe a fancier way of saying exiles. To those not of the world, to those set-apart for service to God at Philippi. That's, that's who I'm writing to, and that's, that's the work of the Spirit in our life, to set us apart, to set us apart from the world, for service to God, that's that's what He's doing for us there. And then we see Him moving us toward the the end of I mean the purpose in our election, and that's this: to be obedient, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Again, the the election according to foreknowledge, the sanctifying work of the Spirit becomes clearly, clearly visible through our outward obedience to Him. It makes that obedience possible, which confirms, like, okay, that's that's what we've been talking about. First uh, John. Again, first John's so clear on, on these things. Chapter 2, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You know, how do I know that I'm elect? Well, I have a desire to obey his commands. And I, I can't explain it. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. John is very blunt there. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, so when we talk about this, this election and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, this isn't just, uh, oh, yeah, I walked an aisle and signed a card, and uh, I kind of took care of that business a long time ago, and now I just live however, and, um, you know, it'll all work out. No, there's, there's a change in our life that takes place. You know, we were dead and brought to life. We had a heart of stone. Now we have a heart of flesh, and that works itself out. That work of the Spirit internally works itself out externally in obedience to Jesus to Jesus Christ. And that's good news. So again, this is this is about heartfelt following of God the Father. You know, we think about all that He's done for us, all that He's made possible. He's made it possible that that we've been sanctified by the Spirit, and now now we obey Him. And then He says this curious phrase, "and sprinkling by His by His blood." Again, another Old Testament term that that Peter uses right off the bat. So, you know, in the Old Testament, if you're familiar uh, with the Torah, then you know there's usually three occasions where you would, somebody would be sprinkled, sprinkled by blood. Um, if they were healed from a devi- defiling disease, so like Leviticus 14.7, uh, um, if somebody's been healed from a defiling disease, they would be sprinkled uh, with blood and pronounced clean. Um, if they were being commissioned for service as a priest, um, they would take some blood, put it on the earlobe, if you remember those, and then sprinkle, and they would be commissioned as a priest. And probably the most uh, common time you would, you would remember is at the confirmation of the covenant. I mean, this is the really, the really big picture about the sprinkling of blood. This is Exodus 24, 4-8. Moses then wrote everything down the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey, which is the same thing Peter's just said here. You've been elected. You've been chosen according to foreknowledge of God. You've been sanctified through the work of the Spirit to obey, to be obedient and sprinkled by his blood, which is the same thing we saw. In Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So when we think about this sprinkling of the blood, this is the sign of the new covenant, that we've been sealed in a covenant. Like, this isn't just changing from day to day, that that we've been purchased, as we read in the very beginning, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been sprinkled by his blood, which means we've been cleansed from our sin. We've been commissioned to be servants to be obedient servants in the kingdom under the new covenant uh, with, with the Son, which is the same thing he said in the Lord's Supper, if you, if you remember that, any time we observe the Lord's Supper. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of, of many sins. And so when we think about this sprinkling of the blood, we've been cleansed from our sins, not to live in it any longer. You know, he says in Romans 6 that we were slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. And the difference isn't, isn't our effort, but we've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus uh, to be clean. So as we, as we think about this, this introduction to the letter in First in Peter, um, which, again, is the best introduction and it has so much there, I want us to have confidence as we, as we go through this world, remembering that we're sojourners. We're just, we're just passing through, so don't get too comfortable you know, be sober-minded, be alert, uh, be on guard against the temptations that war against our souls that would seek to derail us, to, to sideline us in the work, uh, in the work of Christ. So we're just sojourners, we're just passing through. Let, let that mindset really change what you prioritize, you know. Um, Matt Chandler has a, a saying, he always says, like, I don't know if this will matter in 10,000 years, you know. When I, when I look back 10,000 years later, after having been in heaven that long, I, this thing I thought was so important now. Well, it doesn't matter. Prioritize your lives around the kingdom, around the gospel, that we're just, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. We live among the people in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. We live in such a way with one another as, as obedient servants of Jesus Christ that it causes the world to ask questions. And when everything seems to be slipping away, when it's just shifting sand, walk in this confidence that you're not, you're not here by accident. You're not just randomly in Christ today to figure it out. God has not abandoned you as exiles here, but you are, you are selected sojourners. You're known to God. You're known by God. He set his love and favor on you before the foundation of the world and keeps you in him no matter what's going on in your life. And that's the confidence we need uh, to keep going. So I would encourage you to go through 1 Peter, you know, read it again. Anytime you, you read a headline in the paper, or in the news and your blood pressure gets up and you just wonder like what are we what are we doing here what's going on read first peter read first peter and learn what it means to be an exile in a hostile hostile world so let's pray